Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Walter. Hello, everyone. My name is Walter, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And I uh, thank God for my abstinence and ongoing recovery, and I'll ask God to help me say exactly what I need to say, and if I forget to, just uh, get back to him, and I should be okay. Thank you, Lucy, for asking me to share. I was a little hesitant because I've I've shared here about three times, and I don't want to be hogging up the the Internet, but the uh, speaker canceled, and um, it's been a while since I've spoken. I do have a, a a new chapter that, as I think about it, that I think is important to share. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll get to that, um, you know, in a bit. The, the, the growing, the changing, and the, uh, the healing, just, it just never ends. It just doesn't. And this, uh, this food business is deadly, you know. Uh, when I first got into the rooms, I'm a recovered alcoholic or recovering alcoholic, depending on the day I'm in. I, I, don't, I don't drink, but some days I can very much act like a dry drunk. And, and I got into uh, OA uh, probably about 1990. Um, I quit smoking in um, 1989, and I, I think I went from 195 to I stopped weighing at 280, and that was uh, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Because you know, here I'm a, uh, a lot younger than I am now, and I just like God Almighty, this food thing—it just came back with a vengeance, you know. So long before that uh, that first drink, uh, I had an issue with food. And I like to say that uh, when I had a head, a head full of Heineken and wild turkey, I thought I had an ass like Joe Namath. <laughs> and I didn't. Or whatever ideal guy you want to put back at the, you know. And I had this buddy, Clark, who, uh, he had a, a beer belly. and uh, But it looked good on him. And I wish that I had a beer belly like him. And <laughs> you can just see where I was at. And, uh, and, I, and I, had, I had beer legs and beer ass is about where my weight went, you know. And that's just it. And, you know, you laugh. It's, it's the shame I have about that, or did. But to admit that, in front, especially in front of women now, you know, it's like it's not a big deal. Where before, man, boy, I just wasn't going to do that. So when I first came in the program, I just wanted to get the plan and, you know, get back. But anyway, I, and I will bounce around between both programs because a lot of the teachers I've had in AA uh, helped me. You know, they did. They necessarily I couldn't translate what they were saying from AA to OA. But when I got into OA, I certainly. Uh, remembered a lot of things uh, that they said that I was, that was able to help me. And, and I like to speak a little This is my, my favorite uh, OA meeting and probably is my home group. And I'm quite passionate about it because we record and, and uh, it, it goes on the Internet, and I guess we're getting about 30,000 hits a, um, a month. And when I first got sober, I got sober November 23rd, 1986, and I was about a year into program, and uh, I started working with this guy, Bob Anderson, uh, he, as he started to get to know me, he says, so what do you listen to all day when you're driving around? I'm on outside sales. And I was honest. I said, well, you know, rock and roll. Okay, ROQ. He goes, no, 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 this has got to go. you got to start <laughs> listening to tapes of speakers. And um, he installed a tape player in my car. It was an 86 uh, Chevy, what, I can't, a Malibu or something like that. And the first uh, cassette he gave me was this guy, Sandy Beach. And um, a lot of you have heard of Sandy Beach, and he's, you know, I finally got to meet him a few years ago because Leslie told me when he was in town and uh, what he meant to me. But I hadn't told, you know, I was just getting to know Bob, and, and, and 
one of my big big uh, secrets, and it was uh, it wasn't a secret. It was just I didn't see what it had to do with me getting sober. Was I really felt bad about where I went to college, and I wish I had gone to Yale. And I thought if I went to Yale and played football, I'd have this point-and-click life. You know, this is just what I thought, and I wasn't saying this to anybody. You know, and 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 I went to co- and I, and of all things, I go to college in the same town as Yale, and I get to look at their spires, and I'm on a different campus. <laughs> So I'm listening to this tape of Sandy B, and uh, not only did he go to Yale, but he was a captain in the Marines, a fighter pilot. And I was just, that just didn't compute to me. I just said, how the heck does someone like that become an alcoholic? And then why was he flying planes drunk and all the stuff he did? You know? So he, he um, if you get a chance, uh, it's not too hard to find. He's, he's very, very good, and, and that's a hell of a story, and he was a drunk. He was one of those drunks I couldn't have. So when we listen and we share our stories, you know, a lot of things click. We hear our story and go, oh, I thought I was the only one who dumped, jumped into dumpsters and, and, and ate cheesecake. Or I'm the only one who stole some guy's lunch at school, which I did, you know. And, and you, you learn, no, you're not, you know, the, or like what Clancy says, you know, my case, my story is not different. You know, it just maybe varies, but, you know. So my first recollection of, of a deal with food was... Um, uh, actually, it was probably body dysmorphia, and I'd have to say I probably suffer from that, and I still do, but not, not as much. I was about four or five or six, and I had one of those aunts who uh, didn't have kids, and so she would always take my brother and I shopping uh, to Macy's in New York, and my brother was just very fashion conscious, whatever. He could spend what to me seemed like hours making sure everything fit, he knew the labels, and I was like, just God, give me that thing, I want to get out of here. You know, I didn't like to look at myself, all that. I don't know where that came from. So this aunt gives me a, uh, a pair of boxer shorts, and I just went into a, a, just a crying fit because the message to me was, you're fat. And I wasn't fat, and she didn't say that. But I don't know where I got that. Maybe it was, you know, I come in, in my family, there's compulsive overeating. There was debting. There was alcoholism, all the stuff. A lot of love, a lot of love. But uh, it didn't seem to bother my mom. As long as she felt pretty, everything was cool. But my father, the, the food thing, really emotionally really, really ripped him. So maybe that transference of, of feeling state or whatever. But it doesn't matter because even if I connected the dots, still the damage is done. Somehow I got the warped thinking, and only a higher power is, is going to remove that. So the first message I've got to myself is there's something wrong with me. And I don't think I articulated it until I hit my 12 or 13 that I started thinking of myself as fat. And then in second grade, I was left back. Um, and so now the two things I'm saying to myself, I, I wasn't able to string this together until I got into recovery. I'm fat and I'm stupid. And I'm here to tell you, uh, we do far more, in my opinion, my experience, we do far more damage to ourselves in what we say to ourselves about ourselves than we do with any of the substances. You know, I was just talking to someone at the beginning of the meeting, and they had a little bit of a binge, you know. But, but the good news is they flip back in, and they're not out there untreated beating themselves up. And that's where the real damage is. We lose our conscious contact, and I don't do that anymore. So somehow I got through. I got My parents sent my brother and I to a very, very good uh, high school. Uh, they didn't want us around the uh, drug and alcohol crowd in the public school system in Danbury. And I shared this before. I wasn't on that. It was a... Uh, a Catholic boys, high school Jesuit, and um, I wasn't on that campus a week. I found that drug and alcohol crowd. I mean, it's just there. <laughs> Maybe not as big as in a public school, but I saw some pretty wild things and some wild Jesuits as well, you know. 
But I was just, I was really intimidated there because there there are some serious guys there. I remember this one guy saying to me, he says, "So uh, what are you going to do, uh, Walter, when you uh, you know get out of college or whatever?" I said, "Well, I'm going to be a vice president of IBM." I think it was just something I threw out there. Mm-hmm. And the reason I said that, my dad was a vice president at a, a totally different company, and IBM was all over the area that I was in. And I remember when this guy, his name was Kevin, and he says, "Well, I'm going to be a political cartoonist." And I, was just, I had no idea what the hell that was. No idea what that was. And he went to Harvard and worked for The Economist, and now he's a political cartoonist. I don't have that kind of head that works like that. You know, I, I do now better because I learned that lack of power is my dilemma. So I'm around a lot of these guys that were very, very serious students. I was like, God, why is everyone that serious? Doesn't life just sort of like kind of happen? I was so vague about things. I just thought things happened. And I lived for the weekends. It was not a good place to go to school. I was commuting 35 miles each way. And, you know, I, was, I probably should have been in these rooms, certainly in AA, from the time I was 16. And somehow I got out of that school, and I went to uh, uh, Southern Connecticut, and I had the plan of transferring to UConn. And then I met a bunch of friends at Southern, and I joined a fraternity, and I became the uh, social chairman and treasurer. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a number of years, and we had a fraternity house, and... I'm just an alcoholic, and, you know, I had some relationships, one for seven years. It was a pretty painful deal, and, and I got out of college and a lot of partying, and um, and I got into the work world, and, and I had no idea what I was going to do, and I started uh, uh, driving for this, well, this girlfriend of mine worked at the time for the uh, state uh, Connecticut State Unemployment Office, and I had to finish my... Um, Spanish requirement. I had to take a language. I had to take 10 weeks of language to get out, and they said I had two choices, French and Spanish, and, and I just said, well, I, I had a feeling French was harder, and I was thinking, why would I ever need Spanish? Where in the heck in the world am I ever going to end up that I need Spanish? And, you know, here I am in Southern California. And so then I started driving for this company, uh, Federal Express, and they started paying me. I mean, I couldn't believe them. I was making more than school teachers were, and they were giving me benefits, and I was flying around the country for free. And, uh, and I got serious then. I said, oh, they just, they just aren't going to push me along in life because I have a nice personality or, or what have you. And, uh, and I started reading the Wall Street Journal, and I did that religiously for two years in a row and taught myself basically about accounting and marketing and things like that. And, and I interviewed for um, a sales gig, and uh, I got it. And I became the number – in my first year, I was the number two uh, sales rep in the nation, and I was uh, awarded this uh, – uh, you know, award down in down in Dallas, we did it by one of the top entrepreneurs in the country. He gave this to me. I mean, this guy was just, boy, amazing man. Still very, still very active. And uh, 45 minutes later, I'm drunk in a jacuzzi, you know, in my tuxedo and this and this, and that's just how I was. And then I got promoted uh, from um, sales. I was told by the ops guys that uh, Walter, if you really want to be in the fast track, you got to get into operations. And uh, that is not my personality, but I did it. I listened to them. You know, all the ego is, you know, but I knew I had to get sober. And I was always very good at uh, three months, you know, I could stop. And, and then some, somehow, I don't know why, I would go back off the wagon. Well, I learned what it is, is the ego. The arch enemy of all recovery is ego. And there's a great set of papers called the Tebow Papers that I highly recommend everyone uh, read because you, you find out what's going on unconsciously inside of you. These urges to eat or to drink or to use or to act out are not always necessarily conscious. And what's great about Tebow, he was an early observer of AA and came in with, you know, pretty technical language, but he conceded that it was the, the higher power that, that was the only thing that was going to keep us in advance. So I go down and I take this job and I go on one of my uh, three-month 
uh, I was hoping would be forever, never drink again. And in that year, I mean, I went from paradise as a sales guy to hell. I was working 80 hours a week. The bridge in Connecticut fell in Greenwich, and so we're dealing with a helicopter. And I'm get, I couldn't sleep because I didn't know if it was coming in on a jet that day or a helicopter and all this stuff. Um, but I was getting it done, and uh, the employees... You know, I was I was pretty good with my employees, and they this, this was a big mistake on my part. And they invited me to a Christmas party, and uh, I decided, well, you know, it's been three months. The old ego's coming back. I didn't have this language, and um, I started drinking. And not only did I start drinking, I started snorting coke. And then they saw the other side at midnight, and uh, it was you know I, I lost control of that group. Now maybe I didn't, and maybe my head told me I did, but that was the beginning of the end, and I just started drinking and drinking and drinking. And then I had this lady friend, uh, Carrie, very, very pretty, come down one time to visit, and I hadn't been smoking for quite a while, and just give you an idea of what my addict head is like, or maybe it's a codependence here. And she's sitting across from me, and she's smoking a cigarette, and I, I said, God, she looks so much like a magazine picture, you know? I said, let me have one of those. And it was, a, it, was a, it was a Virginia Slims, a cigarette I don't smoke, but that's all I needed was just that one, and then I'm back to three packs of Marlboro a day. And so in that year of 1984, was I didn't know it, but that was really the worst year of my life where, where all my addictions came back. You know, drinking, smoking, snorting cocaine, and I had lower companions, and I was a lower companion. Going to places in New York City, I had no business being, Brooklyn, to score cocaine, and I would come back and I would swear, I would vow it would never happen again. And I would always end that night, too. On top of all this crazy stuff, I always ended that night at McDonald's with four double quarter pounders with cheese. I don't know why I did that, but I did that, so I wouldn't have as bad a headache. And then the next day, come 3 o'clock, I'd start the whole cycle over again. Well, my brother was out here in California. All my family, by the way, had migrated out here. And, and he just kind of, I don't know how he knew I was in a lot of trouble, so he flew me out here, and I, and I did a rehab and uh, a three-week deal. And I was 218 pounds when I left that. Six months later, when I finally had to resign Federal Express, it's only a matter of time before they would have gotten rid of me. And I don't think there was really rehab things going on too much back then. Uh, I weigh 270 pounds, so I come out here to California now. I pull a geographic. I didn't know it was a geographic. I can assure you, I didn't come to Southern California for the 12-step experience, yet this, is, this has become my life. This is, this is what's happened. I mean, I just, L.A. met everything different, you know. I met the Raiders, Lakers, Mountains. It did not mean sitting here telling you about my, you know, my issues, and yet that's what, what I needed. But we're always the last to know. So, uh, so I, I really relapsed, so I went to the second rehab. And when I got on that scale and saw that I weighed 200, it was, I'll never forget the number, 269 and a half pounds, I couldn't believe it. I was like, you know, I was always fluctuating between 215 and 230, and somehow if I would, would get back, and if only I went to Yale and played football, all this crap. <laughs> and so I went on my first, what well, was the best diet uh, that I, 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 I don't know how, well, I guess I was in a, I, I'm pretty good sometimes in hurry-up offenses to get caught up and. uh um, I started eating. I got out of that rehab, and I have a new job, uh, and I uh, would eat one can of tuna fish on whole wheat bread with Brussels sprouts, one apple, and that was about it, and, and, and a ton of coffee and, and smoking cigarettes. And so I went from 269.5 pounds down to 184. Things started working out okay uh, with the new job, and I had a house, uh, not a house, I had a, a nice little apartment up in the Hollywood Hills. I was really thinking, wow, I'm really, I'm really doing well here. 
and I meet this lady, and she has a daughter, and that was new. And then uh, that relationship, I think, only lasted about two months because she didn't like the way I spoke to her when I was drinking. And I, looking back on it, I can't blame her. But that was the pain. That was that was it. You know, when I lost that relationship, I just went, man, I couldn't stand it. I, I, I just that, you know, any heartache is, is really tough. So I got to Roxbury, and I'm and I'll, I'll get into the food thing here pretty quick and deeply. But if all I ever did was get sober. You know, if you've heard anything, if all I ever did was get sober and I wasn't in these rooms, I'm way ahead of the game. That's, I mean, it was a miracle I got sober. And I say this because the higher power, and I'm very serious about this, and it was like my old sponsor said to me a long time ago, says, Walter, when you get serious about your life, you're going to need God. And I, when I heard that, too, I also said, well, I'm a Catholic boy. You know, I was an altar boy. You know, God, it's not that he, he doesn't care that I have these addictions, but you know, he's, he's busy with the things in the Middle East and the Vietnam and all, you know. So I went and saw a therapist. And you figure, figure the odds of this. The first therapist I choose says, the only one who handles addiction, Walter, is God. <laughs> go, go get sober come back. And I never forgot her for that. And another little, little side story. I stayed in touch with her. never really act, entered into formal therapy with her. But many years forward, I get involved with uh, Al-Anon. And they're telling you to keep the focus on yourself and worry about what you're doing and let people, you can't change people anyway and this and that. I, I wasn't buying all that. And so I got into one of her workshops and I asked her about that. And she said, well, Walter, that's called enlightenment. So I'm like, all right, all right, all right. And she was right. So I get to Roxbury and I get sober and I'm smoking cigarettes and just, you know, like it was amazing. When I, started, I, got, when I got past six months sober, I was just amazed. And uh, and then when I got a year, I was just like, that was like unbelievable. Well, you know, I start looking around and I want to quit smoking. And um, uh, and I had to go to Nicotine Anonymous. And then, as what I told you, I, when I quit smoking, I just started pounding pizza and ice cream. I'm, I'm a high-fat, high-quantity eater. Uh, I'm telling you, left untreated, I could probably put on 50 pounds in a month. I could do it if for whatever reasons. Another great thing about OA... It's really, just like AA, I, I did have one relapse in AA. I was in about a month, and I couldn't drink anymore. I went out and tried to get drunk. I, I mean, my body was probably drunk, but I could, not go to, I could not go to La La Land, and that's a bad place for a drunk, because that's why I would get drunk, but that's why I got drunk. Same thing here, man. I can't binge. I just can't. I do it. Sometimes I'll act out. You know, I, what I say here is there's perfect progress. There's no perfection here. But it really screws it up and just, uh, you know, and I thank God for that because if I wasn't getting my disease treated here, who knows where I'd be. So I started gaining all this weight, and the sponsor who meant everything to me, Bob, Bob A., who made God real to me, he showed me in the big book exactly what prevented a higher power in my life, all that. I loved the man, and I hated him, you know, but, I, I, but for the most part, he, he was a good man. I wish I had had Alan on. I, I really did ruin that relationship. When, you know, when I saw he had clay feet, that's another thing, man. I just Sandy Beach talks about this too. We just, we just don't judge one another. None of us are perfect. These are not. This is not perfect anonymous. But I just didn't get it. I just didn't get it. And so he tried. I went to Nutrisystems, and when I was on the scale, they weren't asking questions like, "Are you lonely, Walter? Are you sad because your father died? Do you regret the fact you didn't go to Yale and play football?" They weren't asking those questions. They were just checking off, you know. The food you ate that day. And so I'd lose a little weight and then gain it. And, and finally what clicked to me is when Bob just said to me, he just said, Walter, just quit pigging out. <laughs> well, that's like saying to a guy in Six and San Pedro, just move to Valencia. Go get a condo and cut this crap out. He's like, well, I'd love to. How do you do that, you know? 
So the light went on, and, and AA is Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and that's, it does what they do, get people sober, keep them sober, and serenity. And then was the beginning of a wonderful journey coming into Overeaters Anonymous, and I went to this men's uh, stag up in uh, Valencia, uh, every Saturday morning, it was really a powerful men's stag. It's no longer in existence. And I just heard sharing and feelings. And I wasn't the only guy who was hung up about his behind. And I wasn't the only one who had these regrets and all this stuff. And I was like, wow. And there was no scale in the corner. It was three meals a day and nothing in between. Uh, and I learned to do a food inventory. And the food inventory was uh, uh, trigger foods. And that word, words are very powerful. That word trigger was very important. Because I knew what a trigger was with a Marlboro cigarette. I knew what a trigger was with a Heineken. One of, I'm gone. A snort of cocaine, I'm gone. There's no moderation. I had never put that together with, with Haagen-Dazs ice cream or cheesecake or pizza. I cannot eat one of those things. I, I could sit with you like a sneak. I'm a good sneak. I could sit with you and, you know, and be very proper. And the minute we leave, just follow me because I'm going to 7-Eleven. I've got about a 30-mile drive home. I'm going to 7-Eleven and then I'm going to finish it at Vons. And that's just what goes on. <laughs> You know, so that really helped me identify trigger foods. These are the things you don't want to go go near. And then the gray area foods. And gray area for me would be like Subway. Sometimes I can go on the Subway and eat a chicken breast sub. But if I have a tuna sub, it always has to be a double meat and slaughtered in stuff I don't need. That's a gray area. And then the abstinent foods. I've never binged on apples. I've never binged on tofu. I've never binged on chicken. And I, uh, and so the weight came off, and I got down to about 205. I've got to speed up here. And uh, miracles happened. I went back east. I went to that, back to that high school. And I was in better shape than I was when I had graduated got there. And guys noted that. Uh, things I wouldn't have done. Amends and, you know, a lot of stuff. I uh, started hiking. And, but I failed to enlarge on my spiritual condition. I didn't treat my ego. I, I didn't take away really all that seriously like I did AA. I started going to Vegas, trying to, I, I felt so ripped off from losing my youth and trying to live uh, vicariously, and I'm very, very lucky uh, I didn't get drunk. Also, there was a, a high-pressure job, and there was a guy there that didn't like me. I didn't like him. He gossiped about me. I dropped napalm on him, and we almost had a fist fight, you know, and, and I was in my 40s then, you know, and fist fighting is never appropriate, never mind two adult men. And I knew I was the only one who knew what the big book was. So I really said, this is something, you know, Walter, I don't know what's going on with this guy, but this is, not, this is not cool. And I knew I was out of control. And I had relapse. I was starting to relapse. And what I did was I had gone to, I used to go to a lot of Laker and Clipper games, and I would drop my uncle off in Venice and then uh, I, that jack-in-the-box there before the uh, 10. And one night I had a milkshake. And then it became three times a week, and then, you know, I just went back. And what happened was my car started getting smaller, and I seemed to be growing over the wheels. You know, and I didn't go back to my top weight, but I, I got up to probably about 260. And when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I met this guy, Royale. I first saw him speaking at a, uh, a marina center. He looked like a marathon runner to me. I didn't think anything about him with food. And then a few, few nights later, I see him up at Darby Street, which is the uh, meeting hall up there. And I couldn't believe it. I just, you know, and, and, and that man started me on calling my food in. Uh, actually emailing my food and I've been doing that discipline and I'm very passionate about that too to I email my food in every day the good the bad and the ugly you know and I had no goal people always say goals that's another thing I like to say you know I don't say this to be critical I save this to save your brain and so you don't lose force don't lose your conscious contact just keep the focus on you don't worry about people going up and down and in between 
and I got that when I came out of this relapse. And so people, when the weight started coming off, they said, well, what's your goal? I said, I don't have a goal, you know. I, I, what I remembered when I told you about what Bob A. said to me, he says, you know, Walter, he looked at me one time, he says, don't do what you do. He says, just do what the 12 and 12 says. That's all you need to run your life. You know, and at the time, I said, no, I need the Bible, the collective works of Carl Jung. I wasn't saying this, but this is going inside of my head. You know, and I said, all I want to do, when I came out of that relapse, all I want to do is stop eating like an animal and just do what the 12 and 12 says. And I got real busy in service, and I stopped quarreling about the tools. Because the difference between food and, and drugs is, we got to, you know, when I'm done with drugs and alcohol and cigarettes, that's it. I don't have to go in and take a, a peek at, at a liquor store or any of that stuff. But food, I've got to eat three times a day. And I don't know about you, but when finance and romance are, are a little spooky for me, I, that's, I default to food. I just do. And, and so uh, the, the weight just started coming off. And my father said uh, a long time ago, so the Gregory men should be 200 pounds. And I said, oh, that's what Dad said. I just didn't want to eat like an animal anymore, and I got down to, to where I weigh now. I fluctuate between 175 and 182, and I've been doing that for over 10 years. And if I had planned that, if I had made that a goal, ain't no way that was going to... I would. I, if someone had said, how would you like to weigh that, Walter? I said, well, if I went back to high school and got on the track team, you know. But no, I didn't have to do that. You know, I didn't have to do that. I just had to come here, email my food in, a couple of men's retreats a year, uh, be of service, you know, the, like the things I do here, and... You know, and what happens is, you know, I get to hear stories. I get to meet people. And, and, and you know, I don't want to say we get brownie points from God, but I believe this is, this is the sort of thing that where we develop our conscious contact. We just start having these coincidences. You have to, I've had that experience. There is a higher power. It's not the higher power that was taught to me in the church of my origin. There is something going on greater than me. And I can prove that through, through half a dozen addictions and some other behaviors that are just gone, that just don't happen, you know. And it isn't because I read the right book. The, the, well, the only right books to read it for me in terms of my addictions are the, uh, the AA and the 12 and 12. So I hike as part of my exercise, and uh, I'm a low back sufferer. I have a herniated disc, L3, 4, and 5, probably from the wreckage of my past. And I, w- I just love to hike. I'm, I'm, like, a, I'm like that. that you know, I just, uh, they call me a billy goat. I get going, I don't stop. But w- when I would do certain mountains, my back would get thrashed, and my back would just go out, and I was just, God, I've seen chiropractors. I was wearing orthotics. God, you know, all this stuff, doing everything. The, the only right thing I did was never get surgery. And so I prayed. I put my head, I said, God, have I done everything, man? I, I just, you know the pain. This is bad. And the intuitive guidance I got was yoga. And so I was like, yoga? No, man, I want to, you know, grandiose. I want to play basketball. You know, what was I in my 40s? I want to dunk, you know. And it was like, you know. So I go to a senior center in, in New Hall, California, and, and uh, I'm in the back of the row, and, and I meet this um, yoga teacher, Linda, and I went there for six weeks every Saturday. And then I followed her to her studio, and uh, I started getting relief. What I learned was just because my back was out did not mean my life had to stop. And I started getting relief, and I learned that by stretching and, and all this stuff that it really started to help. So that was the main reason I was there, was for my back. But then I really started liking it. It was a very safe way for me to get fit because I couldn't run. You know, I didn't, I, weight, lifting weights is just not something I've ever enjoyed. And I, and I love swimming, but I, I would just always cramp up. That's how bad it was. I would just cramp in there, you know, I'd be, I might be able to get 15 laps in and, I, and I'd be cramping up. And so my body really started to heal. And I started doing things like uh, headstands and handstands. And, and, and my back, 
uh, in terms of, of slipping became uh, shorter and shorter and shorter. But that didn't completely fix me, and I finally saw, I finally got to a healer, probably because of, of keeping the weight off and, and the strengthening and the good things that, all, that, that happened to me through yoga. I met this, this uh, chiropractor who doesn't adjust in the conventional sense, and the first thing he meets me, and he says, you don't need orthotics. And I said, no, 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 one leg is shorter than the other. And he says, no, it's not. I'll guarantee it's not. And that was back in February. Uh, and that night, when I cried for help, I was going to binge. I was so much pain. I said, God, what the Jesus? And I, I, I whined about it from a podium, and someone said, Walter. And I said, what the heck? You know, I gave it a shot. And after I saw that chiropractor, I have not worn orthotics now in over, over a year and a half. Uh, one leg is not shorter than the other. It was just in trauma from, from you know, things not being right. And uh, I, I don't think my back has gone out in, in, you know, maybe a little bit in over a year. So anyway, fast forward. Uh, I, I've just become a yoga teacher. Um, I, uh, <laughs> and it was never my goal to become a yoga teacher. I, I, uh, I was I was uh, in my yoga yoga works up in Valencia, and Danny, one of my teachers and a very good friend, said, "We had the 200-hour teacher training, and the two things I heard was you could be a teacher or deepen your practice." And I think I kind of leaned toward deepen your practice. And there's a school up there called Cal Art, so I know I've met a lot of these uh, artists over the years. And this guy, I can't think of his name, a dancer, and he turned around to me and he looked at me, and it was just one of those moments. He goes, "You know, Walter, you as a teacher." And I was like, it just hit me. You know, it was like just one of those higher power moments. So I did it. And I loved it. And, and I really did well. And not only did, did I become a teacher, but um, graduated, but I, I, I healed my inner dummy. I didn't miss a class. I didn't miss a paper. I learned about anatomy, uh, planes of movement, you know, proper alignment, sequencing, all the stuff that I wasn't paying attention to. And I went in there like everything, arrogant. I've been practicing 10 years. What could I learn? I knew nothing. I knew nothing. I knew nothing. And so I, 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 I got my thing, and then um, I decided to enter into the 300-hour because I liked it so much, and that's the professional level. And you really need to do that if you want to really teach at a higher level. And I've been doing that, um, and, uh, and that's going very well. And I'm, I'm mentioning this for two reasons. So I just got hired by uh, LA Fitness uh, as a sub, and I've, I've taught four classes. And, and I'll tell you what I don't like about LA Fitness uh, there's mirrors all around, you know. So this is what I'm talking about, the healing here. I, I, I'm standing here in shorts with mirrors all around me, but I'm not really hating what I see, you know. I'm accepting of myself. Yeah, a little vanity when I kneel down. I get some extra skin and stuff and hope no one notices, you know, the scars or the wreckage. But what a healing that is, you know, what a healing that is, you know, but I keep coming back. And... Uh, so, you know, I love it all. And, and the next thing I'm going to do, and I'm going to take a little time to uh, advertise this, is I'm, I, I am starting a 12-step yoga meeting. And I know you guys have heard of that, but this is going to be run by traditions. And it's going to be, I've got five thus far, and I know I'll have a bigger bank of teachers, recovery, all in recovery. Uh, I'm not going to put a number on it. I mean, if we can get 100 teachers, great, but they have to be volunteer. Uh, it's going to be one hour of, of yoga practice, and then followed by... Uh, one hour of a meeting, and um, the donation will be, you know, two to three bucks just to cover rent. And yoga has given me so much, and, and so many of us addicts suffer from not being in, or I'll, I'll just say this, I suffered from just being in my head, never in my body. I hated my body. Hated it. I had to drink, snort, check out with fantasy. 
you know. And ju- and just because I stopped doing all that stuff didn't necessarily mean I was like all of a sudden going to start loving myself. It takes a lot of action, a lot of prayer and action. That's what yoga's done for me. So I want to give that back to the recovery community. So this is the new chapter for Walter. You know, the fact that I can stand there. Uh, I'm 55 years old. And, and I'm, I'm a yoga teacher, you know, and, and if you gave my stats to UCLA in 1985, 269 and a half pound, 32 year old man, uh, three packs of Marlboro a day, a case of Heineken, not a problem, half a pint of wild turkey, and an eight ball of, of cocaine, he'd do more if he had more money. What a chance is him becoming a yoga teacher or living past 40? And they'd say, no effing way. It's just, or something, you know, they'd say there have to be a major intervention. You know, sober if he's lucky. So, you know, I, I am very, very grateful. Uh, and and uh, and I don't mean to be bragging or, or, or arrogant or any of that. Uh, I'm just very, very grateful. My, my uncle says, you know, you're, you're kind of running your life in reverse. You're supposed to do these things younger. But I figure it's better late than ever, you know, to have that. So why don't I, uh, you know, I've got a few minutes here opening up to questions. Thanks for letting me share. If I don't get any questions, I'm going to put you in down dog. Go ahead. Thank you very much for your share. Uh, just focusing on your experience in OA, maybe the two or three things that were most important when you were early in, the, in OA. Well, the most important was to realize I wasn't alone, that there was a solution. I could see other men with pictures. I loved the passing around pictures or old clothes. Um, that was very important. And the fact that, that the miracle happened for me, And that also, relapse, I don't know if I mentioned this, but relapse was the best thing that ever happened to me. I wouldn't have admitted that when it happened. But that's when I really, in 1999, January of 1999, that's when I can say unequivocally that program became number one in my life. You know, just like what it says in the 12 and 12 here, I have to take these steps like the drowning man grabs a life preserver, and then this thing works. Can you talk a little about the transition from whatever being Catholic altar boy was for you in your relationship with God then as it transformed into a connection to a higher power in program? Yeah, that's a good question. What, what, the, the question was, what's my relationship with God uh, now uh, versus how it was as a Catholic? Well, the, you know, as a Catholic, uh, God was like, you know, these were the stories. We went to church all the time, every Sunday for sure. Grandpa said a rosary every day. You know, it was just a big deal. Anytime I went down to Bayonne, New Jersey, the, the statues were everywhere, you know, of the different saints, uh, Virgin Mary, Jesus, all that. Uh, but my God of, of Catholicism at the time was really on the blackboard. There was no living God in my life. And um, it was more like, you know, if I needed God, I guess I would scream out in an emergency. But it wasn't, it wasn't until uh, I got into program and I was brought to my knees. And, and they were saying, you're, you're only shot. I mean, it tells you in the big book. The purpose of this book is to find a power greater than yourself that can do for you what you can't do for yourself. And I'm not knocking Catholicism. You know, I'm a better Catholic. I still, I still participate. You know, I'm not in church every Sunday, but I do from time to time go to confession, and I get a lot out of that or take the sacraments of, of Holy Communion. But I also, I study everything. I study, I've studied Buddhism. I've studied... I'm into, really into the Bhagavad Gita now. I've studied the Upanishads. I've been, I've been down to black gospel churches in South Central L.A. I, 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 I've been studied the Kabbalah. I've, it's just, I've always had an interest there, and I didn't know that. And, and, uh, but I'm going to tell you right now, I've read a lot, experienced a lot, and the big book is profound. Bill Wilson did not write that book. 
that was channeled through him, in my opinion. I mean, he wrote it, and he did a lot of good things, and what really influenced him was uh, Varieties of Religious Experience. He read that voraciously. That's not an easy book to read. He read that, and that greatly influenced a lot of the big book, but that book is divinely inspired, and that really is the bottom line. In any religion, you start cutting through the, through the wheat and the chaff or however that expression goes, and they're telling you, man, the deck is rigged against you until you have some sort of conscious contact, and especially for us addicts. No shot in heck unless you've got a conscious contact, and then these steps, and then a teacher, sponsors, all of that, and getting involved and opening up. Thank you.